Greetings, podcast people. So thankful you have decided to join me for another week of Everybody's Got Something. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. It is with a dear friend, Ernie Johnson, who has knocked it out of the park in his career as a legendary sports broadcaster. Ernie and I go all the way back to the ATL. We're talking the 80s, not the 1880s, the 1980s people. And since then, he has become a three-time Sports Emmy Award winner. And right now, he is the host of TNT's Inside the NBA with Sir Charles, yep, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, and the Shaquille O'Neal. And Ernie just wrote a book called Unscripted, in which he talks about the important lessons he's learned from some never-before-told experiences in his life, from being a fellow thriver, the relationship with his beloved father, to raising six children with his beautiful wife, Cheryl. I gotta tell you, I thought I knew Ernie. I really did, but even I learned new things about him during our time together. This podcast was a Blackberry moment, You don't understand that? I didn't either, but you will. You'll understand what that means by the end of this episode. I promise you. And to better explain it, here's the man himself, Ernie Johnson. You can feel it in your heart. Feel it in your soul. Everybody's got a little something. Something that makes them feel gold. Hi there, Ernie. Hey, Robin. I, I, I want to say Ernst because I know that's what your dad, you know that. how much I love your dad. You know what? I, anytime anybody calls me that, like Hal Galima, who does our baseball mm-hmm. stats, worked with my dad, he'll hit me with that in the booth. You know, he'll hit me with a card, you know, with something about a team's runners in scoring position their batting average with runners in scoring position Ernst and it's like <laughs> and I hear my dad I love it when he does that. I know I miss my dad too where are my manners welcome thank you for joining me everybody's got something mm-hmm. and your book your life your story is very indicative of that and I want people to know I we go back a long way we were a little cub reporters 1980s <laughs> in yes, Atlanta indeed. in the ATL yeah at opposing TV stations oh yes we oh. we were such bitter rivals yes, we, weren't we yeah <laughs> um, I, I remember you so well and then you went to Turner uh, a year before I went to ESPN right uh, but um, have always had just um, a great appreciation for you and I thought I knew you and I pretty much did but reading your book unscripted I knew you were a good man I didn't know you were a great one no, and a great family and faith family and friends and so much why did you want to write this book now I think the spark was the ESPN piece you know in 2015 and this is rare and you know it's rare ESPN comes to the Turner PR department <gasps> And that says, never happens. we want to do a story on one of your announcers. <laughs> and it's Jeremy Schapp who wants mm-hmm. to do it. And and my wife, Cheryl, and I were like, uh, look, you know, Jeremy knows our story. He knows six kids, four adopted. One's got a fatal disease. Three have special needs. Uh, you know, I've had my cancer thing. My dad was a great broadcaster. I learned from him. And so he's wanting to explore all of these things in the story. And, and Cheryl and I didn't know if we wanted to do it because we was like, look, if, you know, that's granting camera access into a place that 
you know, we normally don't allow it. You know, we've got to do everything for Michael. He's at that time 26 years old. Your son. Yeah, in a wheelchair and muscular dystrophy and a ventilator and all that stuff. And um, and then we said, look, if this is going to speak to somebody who's thinking about adopting, if it's going to speak to somebody who knows what it's like every day to deal with a special needs kid, if it's going to deal with, you know, speak to a, a son and a father on some level, and who knows, that might be a father and son who get along great, or it might be a son who needs to speak to his dad. Well, let's go. Let's see, let's see what we come up with here. And they did an un- unbelievable job. I mean, I mean, Jeremy Schapp and his producer, Dan Lindbergh. Know them both and, well. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. And they came in and did this, and then, you know, we sat back like everybody else when it was ready to to be aired for the first time. And we were like, wow, that was really good. <laughs> and and then the reaction from people yeah. was just the people that Cheryl and I said, if this touches somebody, because my Twitter was you know, blowing up, you know, it was like, you know, it was, hey, I'm a, I'm a new dad. I'm a new mom. I got chemo next week. It was all that stuff. Well, you're so and relatable. And then we said, well, we're going to, now yeah. is the time to write the right. book. Yeah. And uh, you're, and Ernie, you're, you're so relatable. And there's so much that you have gone through and that you shared with that ESPN program, which you have eloquently now put into words in, in this book. And like I said, I, I, I saw the special, I've known you, and I still learned more about you mm-hmm. in reading the book. I love what you talk about BlackBerry moments. And I remember when I heard that BlackBerry, I'm like, was well, he talking about that mobile device? I, I I'm like, what, what do you mean BlackBerry that's moment? The, that's, that's the one thing I always have to say. This has nothing to do <laughs> with the thing you're staring at, okay? It has nothing to do with electronics. And it really is. I mean, it was a true story. It's like I'm playing a Little League game, and, and, and it gets delayed momentarily because we, you know, a couple of our outfielders are looking for a ball that went over the fence and they give up that hunt and start eating blackberries that are just growing behind the fence. And then as I grew older and, and hopefully wiser, Robin, I'm, I'm like, why does this story keep coming back to my mind? It's because I feel like I get into these, these moments or these periods of time where I'm so focused on the game uh, right. and that can be the next conference call, the next meeting, the next, the next show, the next whatever, um, that I miss these blackberries. There are these sweet moments out there just waiting to be enjoyed if you slow down and if you look around. And, the, you know, here are these kids. The game was the thing. I'm sure mom and dad had said, hey, this is, this is the biggest game of the week here. Now you be, you be mm-hmm. focused. And these two kids were like, blackberries? Wow. <laughs> and I found that that same way, that, that if I'm – open to looking around, I can be that BlackBerry in somebody's life. Yeah. And somebody's planted a back a BlackBerry out there for me to enjoy if I'm not too stuck on what I've got to do next. And so what's cool is our family our family does this all the time. I got a text yesterday from my oldest son who had Michael out for lunch with him. He was taking care of him. And Eric also had his son and then a guy who was on the basketball team with Michael. They were all out at lunch yesterday. And I just get a, a text with a picture and says, Blackberry lunch. You oh, know, so our family is yeah. all over that. And that all I all I want is like generations down the road. I would love to have some part of the family 
who I'll never know because it'll be so many years down the road, still be referring to a cool <laughs> moment as, boy, that was, was that a Blackberry moment, you know? It could very well happen. And the foundation has been laid so strong in your family, and it goes back to your dear mm. dad, who many people, you know, I was a Braves fan. Because yeah. growing up in Mississippi, we didn't have a team, but because it was on cable, the Braves, that was our team. America's team. Yeah, and Ernie Johnson Sr., Oh, oh his, his just his, such a wonderful voice, and I love how you, who how you write in the book because everybody would call him. He was a voice of the Atlanta Braves, and yeah. tell people what he said when when someone would try to refer to him as that. Yes, I mean, you know, he joins Skip Carey and Pete Van Weeren oh, yeah. join the broadcast crew, and and they're doing a game one day, and Skip comes out of a commercial break, and we go to the top half of the fourth inning, and now to call it for you, the voice of the Braves, Ernie Johnson. And and so my dad calls the half inning. After the third out, they go to break, and he looks at Skip, and he says, Skip, I, I appreciate that, you know, what, you know, but if it's okay with you, we're all the voice of the Braves. So don't single me out as the voice of the Braves. And that was that was just dad. Such that humility. Was just, yeah. Such humility. Yeah. And yeah. it was, you know, yeah. He didn't realize what he taught me, you know, because he let me tag along all the time and mm-hmm. I'm watching him work. And, and, and so, you know, I'm getting to the ballpark six hours early with him and, you know, I'm hanging out at the cage watching BP. <laughs> Hank, Aaron's, Hank Aaron takes a few swings oh. and comes out and says, how's your Little League team doing? You know, so as Hank a kid, Aaron is yeah. coming up to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I, you know, I'm, I'm living this every kid's yeah. dream doing this. And at the same time, I'm just like taking these these mental notes about how Dad treats these fans from Macon he's never met like they're long lost buddies mm. because they yell it to him from behind the backstop. Hey, Ernie, we listen to you in Macon all the time. And then next thing I know, he's over there talking to him for 15 minutes. Um, or I see him. Somebody tells him a story about a kid who got paralyzed in a football game down at South Georgia. And then suddenly it's like my dad reaches out to him and says, hey. And then it's every time we took a trip somewhere, if we were anywhere near South Georgia, it's my dad says, wow. hey, I've got to stop by and see Ricky. Yeah. You know, and that's, why, and that's why I say, look, the kids today, I mean, parents, you got to know, the kids see and hear everything. They, you know, that's and a, you were su- watching, it's a superpower. You saw that. You saw that. And that's, that's made you the father in part. Yeah. Made you the father that you are sure. uh, today, and your beautiful bride. Uh, let's see, it's going to be thirty-five years with Cheryl. Yeah, I love the story that you write about <laughs> a very important date that she had with you before you left town. Yeah, the uh, the last date. It was one of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know when you're, you know, I go back to that year. I mean, I'm twenty-three, twenty-four years old, and I've got my first TV job. You know, and I'm, you know, I'm the anchor in the news in Macon, Georgia. You think you're all that, right? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I look like I was eleven at that point. <laughs> I mean, I look so right. young, and and we had no teleprompter, and so I'm, it's, I'm like a bobblehead doll reading, you know, reading the news, and and um, yeah, and she's working at the bank. She's the drive-through teller. So, you know, she tells everybody we met through six inches of bulletproof glass, <laughs> you know, and it takes me months to ask her out. I'm so nervous. Um, but, yeah, so we, you know, we get to that dating thing where it's like, okay, I've, I've got a chance to take an, another job in a market size 100 bigger than I'm working at, you know. Good job. Good job. Yeah. yeah. yeah if I'm gonna, and she's still in school at Mercer University, and it's like, 
I guess this is it, you know. And she's working two jobs to to work her way through school. She's got no spare money. And she just, uh, you know, she says, "Okay, well, I know you're going to Spartanburg, uh, you know, I want to take you I want to take you out for our last date in Macon, Georgia." And and we go to this place called Leo's, which is you know, we're all the in, in middle Georgia where it, it's all the suits and everybody <laughs> right, in there. Right. You know, I walk in there. It's like, what are you doing? Are you delivering something? <laughs> you know, and so and so she pays for this great dinner. Wow. And, and I'm and we're midway through, and I say, how? Excuse me for asking, mm-hmm. Cheryl, but how we how are you paying for this? She said, I sold my clarinet. Mm. And I said, you. uh you have a clarinet. As I, I thought I knew everything about you. No, you. So you got a clarinet. Yeah, she said I used to be in a band. Still got the. You know, I was in, in high school. I've still got the clarinet. Took it to the pawn shop. Sold it. Voila! Here we are having. Wow! Done it. Yeah! Wow! Yeah! So it was. Uh, That's really sweet. But yeah. uh, but fast forward because when they read the book, they'll find out. And this was really sweet because I know it's got to be tough when you've been together for so long and there are all of these you know Christmas gifts and birthday gifts and trying to find something mm-hmm. uh, anniversary and you had the coolest anniversary gift one year. You were like as a as a husband, you're like I got this one. And what was it? Because well, here's the deal. She's always good at that. Mm. And I'm the one who's always struggling, saying, this will be meaningful. No, that'll be stupid. No, this will be, no, what am I going to do? Yeah, so I got her a clarinet. Brilliant. Yeah, went to the music store, and Brilliant. it just hit me one day, and I was like, and then I said, and all I got to do on the car to say, I owe you one of these, and see, I'll see if she understands what, what that means before she opens it. And, and when she did read it, she's like, I owe you one of these. Boom, boom. She's like, okay, I see. <laughs> good. And but then... T- Tell people what she did, and this is this is a, a, this is a her. Yes, this what did she her. do with the clarinet? Yeah, she said, "If it's okay with you, you know, we had a daughter who was in the band in high school. She said, I think I want to donate this this new clarinet to Mill Creek High School. I'm sure there's somebody who can't afford it.'" And, and I was like, "That's perfectly, yeah. that's perfectly fine. You know, I don't want it to just sit on a shelf and collect dust." She's always doing this. She's mm-hmm. always thinking about. The other person. How can we make somebody else's life better? And that's, I've tried to take, you know, I've tried to keep up with her in in that regard because she's always had that. And that's why when you all, two healthy children, a Mm -hmm. boy and a girl, and you think, oh, we're done. We've got this great boy, this great girl. And it was Cheryl who said, we Mm -hmm. have so much that we can give. We Mm -hmm. have this home that we can give and just tell people how were, were you a little reluctant honestly in, in the beginning sure yeah yeah i mean look the script is working out perfectly right? for me great wife great job boy and a girl like you and like right. you said so let's just keep on going you know don't i don't want rewrites stick, i don't stick I, to the script yeah stick exactly. to the script. <laughs> this script is going great and then yeah i come home from work and she's like you know what we need to do and i was like uh, chicken or fish whatever (laughs) and she's like i need to go to romania and adopt a baby and i'm like oh really hey i'm andy mitchell a new york times best-selling author and i'm sabrina kohlberg a morning television producer 
We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. She explained it to me, and she talked about 2020 and watching it, and mm-hmm. and uh, I'm saying, well, let's take the next step. Let's see if, you know, and so we go to meetings, we hear from people who have been there and done that, and then we say, okay, let's uh, let's do it. I'll, I'll stay home with Eric and Maggie, um, seven and four. She's afraid that when she comes back from Romania, these kids will have rickets or something. So, <laughs> Nothing, like she knows, watch, with you watching them, what? what? She knows this is going to be yeah. putt putt and yeah. pizza for, for two months. Um, what a dad! Yeah, putt and pizza. yeah, exactly. And That's I'm and stuff. I'm worrying about and I'm worrying about her because it was a different day. You know, this is 1991. This is not like we have instantaneous. You know, like text me when you get to the when you get to the orphanage. You know, sometimes you couldn't get a line, but. Um, yeah, she. This is where, this is the pivot point for this unscripted. You know, that's where you know the the, the title comes from the show I do, but it also mm. comes from the show, um, from the life we lead. And this was really the first truly unscripted moment when we're going to add to this family, and we have no idea what this is going to look like. She calls from Bucharest and says, I, uh, "They brought a boy out to me at the orphanage today." Yeah, he's almost three. He can't walk. He can't talk. He has a foot that's totally turned in. He's got all kinds of developmental delays. And he said, in fact, she said the nurse who handed him to me said, don't take. Boy, no good. Mm. No good. And then she says, he's more than we can handle. But I don't know if I can go the rest of my life wondering what happened to that kid. And I said, bring him home. <laughs> and where that came from, I don't know. Mm. Because the scripted part of me was like, well, let's not let's not go too crazy here, Cheryl. I mean, you know, it's, but then, you know, sometimes on a you just hear somebody's heart. You know, right. it was it was obvious that this kid had had gained access to some recess of her heart that had never been touched mm-hmm. before. And she says, "I can't go my whole life wondering what happened to him." That's like, well, I couldn't wait to meet him. You know, and I loved how you wrote about when. She made it to the airport, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it made me think of Love Actually, you know, the, those scenes at the airport when everybody greets everybody yeah. and, and, and things like that. But you had no idea the degree of the difficulties. No, because they, you know, it was like, let's take care of, you know, the doctor said, let's take care of this first. And then while we have the hood up, we'll check this and this <laughs> right, and this. Right. And, um, but we had neurologists saying, well, uh, he seems autistic at times, but not truly autistic. And... He's, we see his behavior. He's never going to speak, and he's never going to bond with anybody. And we, so we had doctors telling us this. And then we had the doctor tell us he has muscular dystrophy. Mm. So, you know, and then you do all the research you can. You know, the doctors tell you some stuff, but then you can't keep away from just reading all you can about this. And you realize that, okay, this is, there's no cure for this. There still isn't. Most of the time, all you, you know, all you know about MD is that it was Jerry's kids right. and you can, you're the telethon, about Labor yeah. Day telethon. And, um, and then you know that a lot of kids don't get out of their teens. And so, you know, it was, it was a punch to the gut, but it was also one of these things where 
he started teaching us at a <laughs> you know very early age. You know, it was a great lesson for our other kids. And there are places where kids don't have anything. There are places where kids are told they're no good. And now your your brother is one of those kids. So, wow. and and they never made any differentiation between adopted or anything else. It was just like, look at Michael. Hey, I'm, and he didn't talk till he was eight. Until he finally really? said, he finally said, Mike, one day, you know, and in the meantime, my daughter, Maggie, our daughter, Maggie is four years old and she's like, and then she's five and she's saying, we got two boys and a girl. <laughs> oh, when, no. are we gonna, when are we going to go get that girl you were talking about? So we go to Paraguay and we adopt Carmen and she's totally healthy. And then, uh, and then we just kind of deal on a daily basis with Michael and, mm-hmm. and what it requires, um, as he's able to walk at first with braces and then it's a wheelchair and then it's, uh, you know, the thing is, Robin, he's 28 now. Wow. So no, he's, he's no defied one, the odds. Yeah. No one thought he would make it. No. That oh point. no. And, and, um, been on a ventilator for the last almost six years and I wake up every day and get to look at a miracle the unscripted and the extraordinary moments yeah. that can result and that makes life extraordinary and yeah we've all you know we all got something well, yeah everybody's got something my yeah. friend and you got a mini what what do you call it you a, call it a, a mini u.n at yes, first yes, yeah united nations we had romania we had we had paraguay we had <laughs> two two that were homegrown and and then uh, and then later in life adopted a couple of girls out of foster care in Cleveland and so we got and that was difficult to take the amount of foster care and I appreciate and other people who are, who are going to read the book appreciate it, you don't sugarcoat it yeah. it wasn't like oh they came in and you all you and Cheryl saved the day uh, seashells and oh, balloons oh it wasn't like that yeah no it's hard and it's people need to know that I know and and people that and that was that. important and, and you know what was was great in in the writing of the book um because I would bounce stuff off of Cheryl and bounce stuff off my sister and off the kids. And I'd say, hey, read this chapter and tell me, you know, tell me if I've gone too far. Tell me if I haven't gone far enough. Tell me if you object to me writing. And the kids were like, no, Dad, that's, that's, that's accurate. That's good. And, and with Cheryl a couple of times, she's like, it's messier than that, isn't it? Than what you wrote. And I said, I know. She said, well, go there. So I, it was yeah. great to have that kind of encouragement from her, because, um, because yeah, it's hard to it's hard to describe that sometimes. And I, what I don't want is for people who might be considering adoption to say, well, look at this, they adopted kids here, and and suddenly everybody's life was great, and it was a piece of cake. And it's not no, true. No, it's not no. true. When you're when you're dealing with somebody who's had six homes and they're eight years old, you know, I'd tell people, I said, look, they didn't have any possessions, but they had a ton of baggage. And and we were trying to unpack that. We still are, as you and I talk mm-hmm. right now. Right, we're still yeah. unpacking baggage, and but we're just trying to be the best parents we can be. And if and and, and there are times where I I can look at the end of a day and say it wasn't a very good day for a, as a dad. Wow, and people so appreciate that, Ernie. No one really wants to to talk uh, about that because they see you in the studio. Mm-hmm. With with Shaq and the Jet Kenny <laughs> and old Sir Charles going, you know, talking NBA and you, you, I mean, it's like the bells and what some of the some of the stuff you guys come up with. 
Um, and so they think that you have this 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 perfect light. But talk about that part of your 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 life. You know, when it them. comes when it comes down to it, Robin, that is kind of like the um, that's recess. <laughs> that really, it really yeah, is. I'm trying yeah. to think. Of, I was trying to think of the word that would really describe that. That's kind of like recess because a lot of work goes into what we do. Sure. We both do. You know, you do, and more. you do a lot of homework, well, son. So I, you, I you all, well, you are still, you're a real student. Yeah. You get in there, and sorry, but you, well, you I got to give too. you. We all do homework because we can't just show up and do right. the show. Um, so doing the show is the fun part, but it's also like the. Okay, take a deep breath and you know, call home. Is everything good at home? Good. Good. Now I'm just going to do this show. And we're going to talk hoop, and we're going to crack on each other, and we're going to act <laughs> like kids. And um, and but the important thing is we're going to laugh. I love going to a job where you know you're going to laugh. You know because we need to. It's hard to watch the news yeah. some days, and people are looking at us and saying, "Hey, for the next two and a half hours, can you show me a basketball game and make me make me laugh? Just just yeah. act a fool for a little while." And take us away from this. Well, you guys deliver <laughs> oh, without, without question. Well, without you, question, you, you guys deliver, and it and it's and it's wonderful to see that. What's your? I mean, because you've done. I mean, we're talking about f- what, four decades. Four ca- decades. Huh. You've been doing this. I have yeah. to look at my. I'm looking in the mirror myself yeah. too. What would you consider your greatest sports moment? What was working with my dad? Yeah, I, I, for real. I mean, I've seen some cool things. Um, you know. I've seen Jack play his last round at the at the old course at St Andrews and been at the mic for that. Um, seen all these NBA guys at their best. Um, you know, watch Raul Labanez hit two home runs in a playoff game for the New York Yankees in an mm. unbelievable setting and call those. But nothing compares with working with my dad for parts of four seasons to be shoulder to shoulder in the broadcast booth with the guy I admire most and we're just talking baseball for nine innings. So people have asked me, what else do you want to do in your career? I said, somebody could call me right now. Another network could call me right now and say, look, we would love for you to join us and do this event, this event, and this event. Those are our biggest things in the world. And I would say, I'm, I'm at the place where I want to be. Yeah. And nothing, none of that stuff would ever pass working with my dad so been to the mountaintop <laughs> amen amen yeah we do a little something here yeah it's called the fishbowl it's called don't think don't blink oh. high tech here yeah. the sound effects here so you reach i'm in sorry here. robin i've got to go <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> now reach in here and don't think don't blink just uh-huh. answer just answer the just question. answer the question <clears throat> what you got there What's a song that brings back your happiest memory? Little Miss Magic by Jimmy Buffett. Mm. It's one of the, it's a song that when, when my daughter Maggie was growing up, you know, we'd, we'd, we had listened to it and it talks about um, uh, this little girl looking at the blades of a ceiling fan and being entranced by it and that kind of thing. I know someday she'll learn to make up her own rhyme. One day she's gonna learn how to fly. Little Miss Magic, what you gonna be? And so little Maggie was kind of little Miss Magic. I called her that a lot. And when she got married and I gave her away that day, we danced to that that night. And it was awesome. Mm. So Little Miss Magic by Jimmy Buffett. Oh, 
Well, I got to tell you, this has been a BlackBerry moment for me. Oh, spending I it love with you. that. It's Thank been you. a BlackBerry moment. Thank, Thank you for everything. As a fellow thriver, yeah. I know people say survivor. I say thriver. No. What you've gone through with cancer, how you've dealt with that, and how you share that with everyone, your faith. Everything. Girl, I shouldn't even be sitting in the same room when you talk <laughs> about dealing and thriving with cancer. Uh, you're the you're the such a great inspiration. You and Sags, my boy Craig Sager, uh, to to watch the way you have dealt with this with such grace and class and strength. Sags did the same thing. For me to be sitting here talking to you takes me back to the eighties. <laughs> oh, and, and have um, my afro. No, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, no. yeah, me too. And. Uh, <laughs> No, it's awesome to see you. Thank uh, you so much for doing this. It's really my pleasure. Love you too. Yeah, Thanks. onward and upward. Trust God. Period. Period. Oh, how I adore that man. Such respect, such love. And you can find Unscripted on bookshelves now. And you can catch Ernie and the boys on TNT's Inside the NBA. So, next week, you're going to hear from Kenny Anderson. At one point, Kenny was the most sought after basketball player in the nation. He had a storied career on the court before retiring at the age of 35. After he left the game he loved and lost his mother, Kenny had a fall from grace, a very public fall from grace, spending all of the $63 million he had earned as an NBA player. We're going to hear about where he is in his journey today in a much better place. In the meantime, we would love to hear from you, our listeners. Just leave us a review and let us know what you like and what could be better. And while you're there, let us know what your something is. We might want to talk to you for one of our future episodes. For now, though, it is time to sign off. And you know what's coming, hot mess still blessed. And a big thanks to my podcast posse, John, Alex, Rennie, Josh, Jade, and Danielle. And I can't forget my entire fabulous team at Rockin' Robin Productions, GMA, and ABC Radio that contribute to this podcast. Mm, I miss you already. I'll see you next week. <laughs>